Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 25 on the life of Jacob and Esau as we study the two nations and two manners of people in them that were born and as boys grew up, but as men were making life-changing choices. We are continuing to ask for your prayers for the Summer Blitz, a Jewish evangelism campaign where we're going out to 15 different cities with 111 missionaries throughout the U.S. and Canada. And we're asking for your prayer that the Jewish people would be reached during this outreach. We were hitting over 700,000 doors. We're actually on track to hit over 800,000 doors with, of course, those are families behind all of those doors. We are seeing Jewish people saved as well as Gentiles, and many Jewish people are being discipled and brought along in their new foundation and friendship with God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to support Jewish evangelism and the gospel going to the Jew first, you can give a donation of any amount. But for a donation of $20 or more, we'll send you 20 gospel tracks from Israel Restoration Ministries. These are beautiful, full-color gospel presentation tracks from the Old Testament designed by Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries. These are the same gospel tracks we're giving out to Jews and Gentiles, and they're getting saved. It's got a wonderful presentation of the gospel with prophecy and fulfillment, as well as the truth of the Jewish Messiah in the Old Testament, and that you're not good enough and you can't keep all the Ten Commandments, and it's a great presentation of the gospel for anyone, Jew or Gentile. $20 or more donation will send you 20 of these gospel tracts, and your donation helps support this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism. So please call us now, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. This offer is not available online at friendshipwithgod.org, but you have to call us for this. It's 800 800- 247-3051. Again, 20 tracks for a $20 or more donation to help support this radio program in Jewish evangelism. Now here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, teaching us from Genesis 25 on Jacob and Esau and the two manners of people that they are. Esau brought back the game, the game there. He hunted it down. He killed it. Very impressive when he came back because Esau made himself a cunning hunter. He made himself a knowledgeable hunter. See, when Esau was in the field, he felt at home. And that's why his title in verse 27 is a man of the field. He's a man of the field. Then there's Jacob. Well, he's described in contrast in verse 27. Jacob is a plain man. He's dwelling in tents. So, you know, what can you say? Then then there's Jacob. Well, someone has to be in the kitchen cooking. (laughs) Someone's got to be making the beds, you know, while the real men go out and hunt for the food for the family. See, it says Jacob was a plain man. In Hebrew, the word that, um, when it says plain, that word, I like that word plain because it's close to me because of the word Tom. <laughs> and it means he was kind of an undefiled man. He was a gentle man. And it's used in Song of Solomon 5.2 when it says, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled, my Tom. Then it says that Jacob was dwelling in tents. He just liked to be tents. He loved to be at home. He didn't want to go outside. Where's Jacob? He's in the tent. Well, he was always in the tent. See, from the time he gets up in the morning till the time he goes to sleep, he's in the tent. If you want to go find him, go find the tent. He prefers to stay in the tents. Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. So, so here's gentle Isaac. We can picture him. And he sees that Rebekah is not going to have any more children. I mean, the twins is it. That's it. And he's about to transfer to one of his two sons the great promise for the future that involves the land of Canaan, possessing the land of Canaan. So Isaac, he looks over his two sons, and he sees Jacob. He sees a shlemiel. He sees a, he sees a plain man. And he sees in Isaac, he says, he's kind of like me. You know, not impressive. 
And then Isaac, he sees Jacob. He just loves to stay at home in the tents and in the kitchen. He's moving from tent to tent. He's like a house dog, you know. And then Isaac looks at Esau, and he sees, now, that's a real man. Boy, he doesn't move around the tents like a house dog, like Jacob. He moves around the tent like some kind of a young lord. And he's just ready to take power. And Isaac says, now let's see now, which one of these two sons is best suited to hold Canaan as a possession and fight off the enemies? And there's no question about it. It's Esau. And so he loves Esau because there's something that Isaac loves about Esau, and it's the venison. It's the venison. He got a weakness for venison. You know, Isaac raised goats. Isaac raised sheep. And sheep and goats don't taste the same as venison. Venison is special. I don't like sheep and goat. I raised a lot of sheep and goat. We ate a lot of sheep and goat. I don't like sheep and goat. I'll tell you that now. I didn't tell you that when our boys were growing up. I told them goat was better than beef because goat was free for us because we raised goats. But um, I know now, and I won't eat goat. But uh, Isaac loved venison. And that venison was really special, and only Esau could bring the venison home. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew reads that Esau put the venison in Isaac's mouth. I mean, they had that kind of a close relationship all centered on the venison. They only have a relationship based on food. It's not exactly spiritual fellowship. But anyway, now comes the scene that's typical in verse 29. Jacob sowed pottage and Esau came from the field. He was faint. See, there's Jacob, just where we expect him, cooking in the kitchen a stew. And here comes Esau, the man of the field. He's coming in off the field. It's been a rough day for Esau in the field. He's exhausted. He's hungry to the point of being faint. Now, the last words that a person speaks on earth are very important. And often, they define the person himself, so the Bible records the last words. For example, like Stephen, his last words were in Acts 7.60, where it says that he kneeled down, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he said that, he fell asleep. That defined Stephen as a person. He gave his life to preach the gospel so that he could see people not have their sins charged against them. And so his last words are, Lord, lay not this sin against them. See, the last words of the Lord Jesus Christ are when he said in John 19.30, when Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, it's finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That defined the Lord Jesus as a person because he gave his life to finish a work of redemption, a work that involved three parts, a great work of atoning for our sins, a great work of bringing to God the lost who were seeking God, and the great work of not losing any that had come to God. And so his last word is about the work that he finished. He said, I finished it. And so that's why the Bible records for us the last words of some people in order for us to really know them. Well, in verse 25, Esau is born. But in verse 30, that's the first time we hear from Esau. And these are the first words from Esau that the Bible records, and so they tell us about who Esau is when we read in verse 30, and Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. See, and Esau said to Jacob, feed me. The first words we hear from Esau are, feed me, in verse 30. And when Esau said, feed me, in verse 30, Esau used a particular Hebrew word, la'at, which means to swallow in a greedy manner. See, by using that word la'at, Esau was saying, give me that food so that I can feel it now. Give me that food so I can feel the sensations of swallowing. 
See, by using that word, that word la'at, for feed, in verse 30, Esau's not saying this. Esau's not saying, now, let me just have a wonderful eating experience. He's not saying that. He says, he, what he's saying here is, he says, let me have this eating experience to be with the thrill of a hunter who satisfies his hunger with the thrill of finding the prey. And then has the thrill of running down his prey. And then has the thrill of violently killing his prey. And then the satisfying thrill of feeling this, the hunger satisfied by the swallowing sensation. That's what he's saying. He's a cunning hunter. And he lives for the thrill of the hunt and the kill. He's like the lion. A lion whose hunger drives him into the thrill and you've seen these pictures and these videos where the lion with got this thrill of this great focus as he controls every muscle fiber in his body to crouch low, walk silently in the long grass till he's in the most advantageous position. And then the thrill of exhilaration is he fires each one of those muscles to spring and hunt down his prey. And then with precision, the lion then locks his teeth over the windpipe as he feels the thrill of the slow suffocation of his prey. And finally he satisfies with the thrill of the swallowing sensation as he devours his prey. That's Esau. That's Esau. He's the cunning hunter. He's used the word la'at. He's a man who loves the thrill of the sensations, especially the sensations involved in stalking and overpowering and devouring. See, he found those thrills in the field. He's the cunning hunter. That's what we mean when we say Esau was a sensual man. The next word that Esau uses in verse 30 is translated, I pray thee. In the Hebrew, it's just one word, na, which we've already seen before. It means now. So that's a word for, right? It's a word for the present. It's a word for urgency. So Esau is saying to Jacob, he wanted to feel those sensations of swallowing now. See, by using that word na in verse 30, we learn that Esau's living for the present. He's living in the present. He's living for the present. By using the word na in verse 30, we learn Esau, he's got no interest to live for the future. So you notice in verse 30 that the word pottage there is soup is in italics, which means it doesn't appear in the Hebrew, but it's been added, so a clarification. So now what we can imagine is how Esau comes into Jacob and he's out of breath. He's like, you know, and he's pointing. He says, you know, me, swallow, now, red. And that's what he's doing. And see, because he didn't even say, he says the, the stew was red. So he says, red. So they called him red. Called him Edom. Edom. That means red. And now we see Jacob's response in verse 31. Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. Now we see that Jacob, he saw how much Esau really wanted that stew. He had to have that stew. And Jacob saw his opportunity to make a deal that he wanted. So Esau, he's not the only cunning hunter in this family. Uh, Jacob's also very cunning, and he's hunting for that birthright. Because Jacob appreciates what Esau despises. Jacob is like believers. Believers appreciate what the world despises. Believers appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the world despises. So Jacob appreciated that the promises associated with that birthright, they're valuable, they extend far into the future, they extend and they involve the invisible. Esau, he's got no interest in what extends into the future. He doesn't care about what involves the invisible. Esau's a man of current sensual pleasures. Regardless of the future, he doesn't care. 
We'll return on Friendship with God in just a moment with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, Tom Cantor's designed a beautiful, full-color gospel track from the Ten Commandments and Are You Good Enough? This is a beautiful presentation of the gospel from the Old Testament using Old Testament scripture and presents Jesus Christ as the Jewish Messiah. It's great for a Jewish person or a Gentile. We've recently, in the past 30 days, printed over 300,000 of them. We're putting them out in our Summer Blitz campaign to reach over 800,000 doors throughout the United States and Canada with 111 missionaries. And this beautiful presentation of the gospel can be yours. We'll give you 20 of them for a donation of $20 or more, which will support this Bible teaching radio program and Jewish evangelism ministry with Israel Restoration Ministries. Call us with your donation of $20 or more for these 20 tracks, 800-247-3051. But Jacob has a higher longing, a higher hope, and this world can't satisfy Jacob. And Jacob did not force Esau into this deal. Jacob left Esau to either accept or reject the offer to sell his birthright. There's no fraud here. Later it'll be fraud, but not here. Now we read Esau's response to the proposal in verse 32. Esau says, Behold, I'm at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? See, he says, these are tragic, tragic words. These are like one of the most tragic statements in the Bible. It's a statement that revealed how blind Esau was. If Esau was at the point to die, the birthright had all the profit to him. But see, Esau saw his future as only extending to his death. That's it. Nothing more. And that's what he's revealing here. At this point, what's happening here is painting the picture of Esau. And this is the picture that God wants us to see about Esau. And this picture here is what God describes in Hebrews 12, 16, when he says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. See what Esau's described at? He's described as a fornicator. He says, I mean, think about a fornicator. Who, like a hunter, he seeks his prey to sexually pounce on his prey. He's thrilled with the sensations of the moment with no regard for the future. No regard for Hebrews 13.4, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. No regard for 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, be not deceived, neither fornicators shall inherit the kingdom of God. No regard. He's a fornicator. That's Esau. He's a profane person. A profane person gives up everything for the satisfaction of the moment. Then we see how Jacob, he didn't trust Esau, and so he pressed Esau to swear to him. Verse 33, Jacob said, swear to me this day. See, we started off by saying that from his birth, we could see the germ of Israel in Jacob. And Jacob knew, he knew how to prize God's promises. He knew how to do that. And here, in how Jacob got his birthright, we can see the germ of Israel in Jacob. And later, he's going to resort to fraud, but we still can see the germ of Israel in Jacob. See, by taking advantage and fraud, that's not exactly God's ways. And the whole rest of the book of Genesis is going to go through and follow Jacob as Jacob goes through God's school of purification. See, when you come to Scanabody's laboratory and you look inside the labs there, what you see are large, large white lab benches where each chemist has about 10 foot of lab bench space to work in. 
And there in front of those large lab benches, you'll see the chairs, the lab chairs. And every day the chemists come, they put on their lab coats, they sit at those benches, and they do the work of purification. They purify. That's what we do. We do purification work. They purify antibodies from cell culture supernatants. They purify antibodies from goat serum, from rabbit serum, from mouse serum, from human serum. They purify proteins, natural proteins, recombinant proteins, fermentation cultures. But the first step that the chemists do is they assess the starting state of the impurity. And then they work. And then they work, and they work, and they work on the purification. Step by step, a series of round-the-clock processes go on for days. But those chemists are patient, and they're careful as they keep moving towards their goal of getting the purified proteins or antibodies to greater than 98% pure. Now, in the life of Jacob, as in our lives, God is the great chemist. And he puts on his white lab chemistry coat, and he steps into the laboratory of Jacob's life. And he steps into the laboratory of our lives. And he sits down at the lab bench of our lives in Jacob's life. And he starts his great chemistry work of purification. And like the chemist, God assesses the starting state of impurity. He assesses the dross, the level of dross, the sin of dross in the life of Jacob. And he saw Jacob's sin, but he also saw that in Jacob was that pure metal of an earnest striving for God. And so he sees the germ of Israel in Jacob, and God puts his head down as he does his work. He says, don't bother me. Don't bother me now. Well, I patiently do my chemistry work, my purification work. I'm going to separate from Jacob the dross of sin from the pure metal of a desire for God. Don't bother me. I'm patiently working on separating in this man. And when I'm finished, God says, I'll stand up and say, I've done it. I've successfully purified Israel. And that's what God, the great chemist, is doing, the great purification chemist, and that's what he's going to do for the rest of the book of Genesis. He's going to be doing this work in the life of Jacob. And that's what God, the great purification chemist, is doing in our lives. It may take a whole lifetime, hopefully not. But if it does, God's patient. He's got the time. And he won't finish until he's done his purification work. We will study God, the great purification chemist, during this work in the life of Jacob. And God, the great purification chemist, is doing this in our lives. And he's not only doing it in our lives, he's going to do it in the Jewish sons of Levi. And the purification work, he refers to it in Malachi 3.3. That's an easy reference to remember, Malachi 3.3. Because it says there about God, he shall sit As a refiner and purifier of silver, he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. See, the key to understanding that verse is to look at that word sit. See, because it says, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall sit and work. It doesn't matter how long it takes. God's going to sit there and work. God's going to sit as a refiner and a purifier and work, and he won't get up from sitting and working until the job's done. He shall purify. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier. He shall purify the sons of Levi. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify Jacob. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify you and me. And God will not be disturbed and he will not be distracted because he shall sit and he shall purify. He shall sit and he won't get up until he's finished purifying because he shall sit and he shall purify. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. God's work is to purge. And the Hebrew word for purge is the word zakak, which means to eliminate or to purge. And the root meaning is to strain, which is how we eliminate and purge waste from our body. 
And God is going to purge them as gold and silver. Because He has a goal. And God's goal is that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. God says He's not going to get up from His work on the sons of Levi of refining and purifying and purging until they can offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. He says He's not going to get up from doing His work on Jacob of refining and purifying and purging until they can offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And God says He's not going to get up from doing His work on us of refining, purifying, and purging until we can offer an offering in righteousness. We might say, I don't get it. The sons of Levi and Jacob, you and I, you know how we're described? We're described in Isaiah 64, 6. We're described as the we. All we, we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. So if we're all an unclean thing, we're all of our righteousness as filthy rags, how can we ever offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness? I mean, what's this offering in righteousness? It's identified in Isaiah 53, 10 through 11 where it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He said, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. And then it goes on in verse 11, and it says that so shall my righteous servant justify many. There's only one person who's righteous. He's described as the righteous servant in Isaiah 53, 11. And there's only one offering in righteousness. It's when a person is described in Isaiah 53, 10 as making his soul an offering for sin. Now, why does there have to be purifying, refining, and purging in the sons of Levi and Jacob and you and I? That's seen by the Hebrew word to purify in Malachi 3.3, which is the word taher. And taher is translated clean, but it has a root meaning of bright. Like when a metal is clean, it doesn't have dross in it. It's reflective like those reflecting uh, metals that they, the women got from the Egyptian women and used in the laver. See, when the sons of Levi and Jacob and you and I are tahar, when we're clean, when we're bright, then we're going to be reflective. And what's going to happen? God's going to look on it. He's going to see himself. He's going to see the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, that's clean. That's pure. See, now I've done my work. It's a refining and purifying and purging. I can see. I can see. See, when the sons of Levi, when they experience, and what Japheth will experience in our lives is the work of God, the great purification chemist, when he says, I have predestined, I have predestined that you will be purified, that you will be conformed. In Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, him they also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of my many brethren. See, from the moment that we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, God sat down in the chemist's chair, and he sees me, and he sees you, and he says, I've predestined to purify you to be conformed to the image of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In order for me to accomplish this predestination, I'm going to start my chemistry work. And it's going to be a series of succession of divine purifications. And in the end, you'll be conformed to the image of my son. Now, we come to the last verse in this chapter, another tragic statement. Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. He did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. How did Esau despise his birthright? By rising up and walking away. That's how he did it. That was a critical time for Esau to repent. That was a critical time for Esau to say, what have I done? I'm so sorry for what I've done. We don't read those words. We don't read those words. Instead, we read, he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus, in that way, Esau despised his birthright. As if nothing happened. As if there was nothing. Now, later, he's going to realize and he's going to look for repentance. It's going to be too late. He won't be able to find it. Because Hebrews 12, 17 says, For you know that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. 
There's a time to repent, and that time was too late for Esau. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. Help us, Lord, to be, Lord, like Jacob, and to yield ourselves to you as you do your work of purification in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Another fantastic day of studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you have a question for Tom Cantor or you'd like to write him, tell him how much you enjoy this Bible teaching radio program, you can do so by emailing him at Tom Cantor. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom, T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor, one word, at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also write Tom Cantor, or send in a donation to help support this Bible teaching radio program by writing to Friendship with God, P.O. Box 711-330. That's Friendship with God at P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Again, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071. You can also call us with a donation of any amount or to become one of our monthly supporters at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. You can also donate online at our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. We also have an online resource center and bookstore of Tom Cantor's materials at friendshipwithgod.org. And this month, for a donation of $20 or more, you can get 20 tracks designed by Tom Cantor, Old Testament tracks, full color, Are You Good Enough, 10 Commandment tracks, 20 of them for a $20 or more donation to the Friendship with God radio program, and we'll send you these 20 tracks. Call us for this offer only at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, and get these 20 tracks for a $20 donation, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Tom Cantor and Friendship with God.